Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Economics for Rebels, the podcast series of the European Society for Ecological Economics. Not too long ago, it was an act of rebellion to pursue economics as if nature mattered. This rebellion continues. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the economics of just and sustainable transformations. Conversations with and for those who are ready to act on rapid and radical change for people and planet. Welcome to our podcast. I am your host, Alexandra Kovash, and you are listening to the Economics for Rebels podcast. To stay within planetary boundaries, our consumption patterns must, must change. Could a provocative term like sustainable hedonism help us transform ourselves and our economic realities and divert the whole system towards ecological sustainability while still insisting that we can live a good life? Today's guest, Orsha Yalakash, certainly believes so. Orsia Lakesh is a social scientist and a certified coach. She is enthusiastic about integrating these two worlds, that of the common good and that of individuals' lives and passions. She is the former deputy director at the European Center for Social Welfare Policy and Research in Vienna and former head of economic research at Hungarian Ministry of Finance. She holds a PhD from the London School of Economics Her new book on sustainable hedonism came out in 2021, published by Bristol University Press. Welcome, Orshi. <laughs> It's a pleasure to be here. Somehow, I feel that the term sustainable hedonism is, is like a provocative slogan. Um, those who take sustainability seriously would want us to move away from hedonism and not just make it sustainable. And those who think this whole sustainability debate is overrated may find it strange that now we can tag a word sustainability even to a notion like hedonism. So did you mean provocation when writing a book on sustainable hedonism? Yes, I did. <laughs> This is meant to provoke. Um, I was... Yeah, I'm inviting people just to question what they take for granted about their beliefs and and stories about success and good life. And um, my objective is to is actually to invite for an exploration of, um, of in the direction of a good life that is actually enjoyable, um, but at the same time doesn't harm others and the earth. And um, I think we can't deny that we would like to have pleasure. <laughs> we all want to live well. So I think this is not something we should question uh, or we want to question. And and many of us feel that we need to cultivate actually <laughs> our ability to live, live a joyful life. And um, on the other hand, there is this kind of increasing external pressure on kind of how to how to react to these, to these issues of of um, of resource overuse of the ecological crisis and uh, and this is an invitation to integrate this kind of uh, responsibility with our quest for for joy and 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 i believe that our understanding of hedonism is completely misunderstood so this is something i would like to clarify in this book um, that uh, hedonism is not this kind of 
what we call radical hedonism, where we don't question our desires and just instantly do whatever <laughs> we want. And uh, and it's not the kind of yeah. So it's not the kind of pleasure max individualistic pleasure maximizing which may uh, come from from this uh, mainstream model of homo economicus, the economic man in economics, but rather. It's like in ancient hedonism, it was a path of inner freedom where desires and were questioned and, uh, but also kind of life was fully enjoyed. So I'm inviting us to, to explore this kind of alternative. Can we fully enjoy life while at the same time questioning our own needs and desires? It seems, it seems a contradiction um, at first sight. I think kind of, it, it is a good idea to question sometimes what we, uh, what we are many times taught to believe about the world. Um, maybe kind of growing up in communist Hungary, it was kind of, it's my kind of <laughs> hardwired conditioning to question systems around me and it was a way of coping. But like, um, I think we all have um, some kind of stories we kind of learn either from the collective field, the school system or from our families. Like in my family, it was like work hard or yeah, there is no time for playing. Um, so, I mean, we, many of us have kind of beliefs which may be restrictive. Um, and so I think in this sense, it's good to, to, to question uh, sometimes these things um, and explore the alternatives. On the other hand, I don't think uh, we need to always question all our deepest desires. So it's ultimately, I think we need to get closer to what we really, really want. Um, and, um, and, and, and in this, there is, quite a good literature also in psychology that, for example, the self-determination theory claims that we all want to have an autonomous life. We all want to live freely and decide about our uh, critical choices. And then we all want to be creative, feel competent, and we all want to have belonging, uh, love and be loved. So of course the kind of forms or, or, or actual extent of these desires may be uh, different in across people, but we all have these desires. And I think what we need is kind of a good, maybe a better strategy to, to meet these very, very core needs which belong to our humanity, I might say. Also in your book, you're mentioning that we need to turn um, from extrinsic motivations towards intrinsic motivation. And, and also now, while you were you were speaking, this 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 was the question that was uh, running in my head, like, okay, but are we not talking about different satisfiers, like, um, okay, financial success, appearance, popularity, SUVs, they they might seem extrinsic motivations, but in fact. I think they they stem from the very deep intrinsic motivation, like to be accepted, to be loved, to find logos in your life, to have, you know, social status, to be accepted by others. 
So, um, um, so do you not think that basically what you're saying in, in sustainable hedonism is, is that we need a change in the satisfiers, satisficers rather than, than our needs and desires? Yeah, I mean, the issue about intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation is, is like what is the ultimate benchmark of, of, um, of my success or where I am heading. So to me, having an external benchmark, uh, like if I'm kind of, if my own happiness or self-esteem depends on what others think about me or whether I'm financially successful or whether I am, um, yeah, influential in social media, then I'm very vulnerable and, and, and I became very exposed um, to the volatility of these circumstances. If this anchor, if this benchmark is in, my, in myself and, and it's kind of flows in a natural quality from me, then, um, then I have a much greater inner freedom. And, um, and actually this kind of um, extrinsic motivation, I mean, I would say it's a suboptimal strategy <laughs> or kind of this seeking this external reputation, fame, uh, or financial success is suboptimal. It's not, I'm not saying it on a moral ground. Um, I mean, although there is now a reason uh, to criticize this on an ecological uh, basis, but I'm not moralizing this, but also from the, from, um, from simply a um, life happiness point of view, it's suboptimal. So um, research such as the people who, who seek happiness in this way uh, or have life materialistic life strategies are um, much like likely to to have like higher subjective well-being or good happiness or they are more likely to be stressed or have anxiety so it's um it's it's a much more fragile strategy um than those who who have much more inner objective and and, and focus on on their own personal growth and their relationships. And actually what is, um, and it, it can be transformed. So what you said about strategies is, is that, is that um, I believe it's not like convincing people or telling them that you shouldn't do that, or even telling that, look, it's maybe not the best for you. I'm not sure if it's really very helpful. It's rather like, um, giving a good support to, to, to explore or experience the alternative. I think that's much more helpful. And there are a couple of studies showing that interventions um, can be helpful. Um, just kind of showing people what is it to have experienced good personal relationships, good connections, good sense of belonging. Um, what is it when they do something for their own personal growth? Um, Tim Kasser has done a study, kind of a series of studies on this, that materialism is not like a destiny or uh, a personal fate forever. It, it, can, it can be changed. And, it's, and I believe such a change can be helpful on a personal level for personal thriving, but also collectively. I was listening to Economics for Rebels. I'm probably well aware of the distinction between well-being and, and welfare. And um, and you you also mentioned subjective well-being um, in your response. So why do you think we need to talk about sustainable hedonism rather than just make the simple distinction about you know subjective well-being that we should focus on subjective well-being rather than than material welfare? 
subjective well-being or happiness is um, is an indicator and that people are are doing well um, it's actually has many many indicators it's um yeah but it's probably already known um to me what is a, a crucial issue is uh, yeah we can speak a lot about happiness but but the question is how do we get there um and to me it's the question on on strategies um so hedonism to me is like a way of seeking pleasure um but i'm not only speaking about hedonism in this book i'm also talking about flourishing life which is kind of going back to aristotle's um eudaimonia which is translated mostly as as flourishing life which is a notion that um we can act for our own happiness consciously um and this action is um is connected actually to our own personal strengths, to our virtues, um, and it's also connected to the, to the community. So it's embedded in the community. It's not just an individualistic endeavor when we are striving for our own good, but it's like connected to, to the well-being of others. I think uh, this is really important when we talk about the well-being of others, when we talk about hedonism, because. When you use the word hedonism, the, the first thing that comes to, to my mind is like, okay, this is again something that you should be positive, you should be seeking, um, seeking good things. And, and um, I am quite critical um, with positive psychology simply because it kind of, it suggests that it's up to you to feel good. And I have the feeling that, you know, it's not just up to you, it's up to the world you live in as well. So putting, putting the, the pressure on individuals to, to seek pleasure, to, to try and be happy, to try and find their own ways of being happy, I think is a kind of way that leads again to alienation, to unnecessary performance pressure, and again, it's a kind of individualistic solution of, of me seeking my happiness, even if I'm seeking my happiness through doing things for my community. So what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I don't like this tyranny of, of happiness or keep smiling. Um, I think it can be very also kind of um, very stigmatizing for those who happen to um, undergo crisis or have, have some difficulties uh, in their lives. Um, and it actually doesn't really help at all uh, to, to create a, a good life strategy. I think uh, we need acceptance. We also need acceptance of, of the suffering in us and around us, uh, all the hardship. Um, on the other hand, I think, we can do a lot. So I think um, we can do probably a lot more for our own uh, well-being and happiness as we might believe. So, so I think our brain, even as adults, is, is, can learn things, can unlearn things. And, and, and evolutionary, we, have, we are hard, hardwired to, uh, to survive. Uh, so we have like this very strong alertness to problems. Um, it was, yeah, it was for the sake of our survival. 
but it doesn't really many of these things don't really help us to to live well or or to enjoy life as we could. Um, so I think we can do a lot, um, a lot for this, but um, but it, it it can't be this kind of fake positivity or or excluding negative feelings. Um, but rather kind of living well with all this, kind of maybe observe the transient nature of our, our, our feelings, uh, to see the wholeness of our experiences. Um, I'm kind of um, talking about the, the, the value of mixed feelings as well. Um, so I think it's, it, it, it is very, very helpful when, when, when we can do that. But of course, it's, it's also kind of um, very important to see that a certain level of suffering may be beyond our our control. Um, so we, we might need external help. And it's also kind of collectively very, very important to, to get rid of the stigma of, of mental health problems. And, and probably the system can do a lot to, to support people who undergo, who, who are in such situations. It's currently, it, it's, it's a major unresolved issue that so many people are uncovered and there is so little, um, public support for for this. So basically, what you're saying is is that heartfelt emotions can be part of sustainable hedonism, and and you can interpret your difficulties in in life as 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 as, as part of life that you still want to live. But um, what is sustainable hedonism in terms of of life strategies like what 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 would you say can you can you depict a picture of somebody who actually lives the world of sustainable hedonism what's she or he like um to me it's it's a very personal strategy um it's I mean, yeah, and, and it's kind of very much part of it that it's uh, it's individual and 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 unique. You are acting for your own good, and 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 you can act for your you can enjoy your moment. It's like maybe just examples, like enjoy what you what you happen to have, um, appreciate that. Um, it's um, <laughs> or yeah, or kind of really. Notice where you have an influence in in your life. Um, what what you can what you can do. It has a lot to do with current practices of of um, mindfulness as well, but also kind of um, um, it means also kind of independence from from mainstream consumer culture. Um, it can also help a lot to really keep a distance from from all the of the all, all these messages which are kind of called as vain desires uh, by Epicure. For example, he was, he was advising against visiting markets as they said that we might want to, we might start to long for things which we do not need. And, and it makes us suffer. And that was his. So he actually created communities. Uh, um, it was called the garden where people who, who were like-minded uh, uh, met and, and, and supported it each other in this endeavor. When discussing uh, these topics, um, I often hear voices saying that, okay, this is again the problem of 
people in the West who are, are over-consuming already and, and have their, um, already have enough to cover their basic needs. But like the world is full of people who, um, who don't even have that. So, um, so okay, it, it might be a bit, um, um, obviously, you know, we are talking about affluent people or, or these are the problems of affluent people, but do you think uh, it, sustainable hedonism is only for the affluent part of the world or can it be meaningful even for those who are struggling to meet their, their basic needs and at the same time, obviously contribute very little to sustainability problems. Uh, I agree with, with, uh, with the importance of the behavior of the elites. Um, our elites pose a major, major problem with their resource use and overconsumption. I just read the latest Oxfam report and they say that top 1%, the global top 1%, which is 80 million people, they consume like 30 times higher than, than the global per capita um, level compatible, compatible with this 1.5 Celsius degree um, temperature rise. Um, and, and it's also kind of the richest 10%, which is like, 800 million people, they also consume like 10 times higher than this level. Um, so there is a major problem, but on the other hand, I don't think we can, we should or could point a finger at them um, because um, I think it's like each of us has a kind of, um, we live in the world, we are embedded in this world and we need to give an existential response to, to the world around us. Um, and actually, and probably many of us who are here, who are listening to this, or I am speaking, we are already kind of among the, the elites, so to speak, uh, who are consuming more than, than our fair share, so to speak. Um, and, and on the other hand, I very much agree with, with this point on, 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 on needs or basic needs or taking care of, of, of those who, who do not have enough. For example, it's also known that um, those who have experience of insecurity, material insecurity at an early uh, life stage, or actually also emotional insecurity, they tend to be much more um, materialistic in the sense that they want to create this existential certainty very much in a material sense later on. Um, so in a sense, in, in the long run, it's also a, a collective problem. It's not just a kind of, so in a sense, this charity or taking care of the poor, it shouldn't be a charity, but it should be like in, in our, in the, in, in, as a kind of collective uh, action for our collective good, um, because, uh, um, because it affects the, the whole kind of uh, life strategy of people at this point. And yes, there are groups and there are nations which, uh, which are going to increase their resource use and, and that's fair, fair enough. Um, on the other hand, I think it's just kind of re returning to this issue of the elite, um, I think it's very important to reflect how we view the elites. Um, are they are role models or would we do the same as we, as we 
as our income increases, and there is a major issue that that um, the, of the rising middle classes. So we 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 also need to kind of maybe revise or rethink kind of who who are we following and how and what are our models of a good life. And that is the that goes. Um, I wonder if I can phrase my, my question uh, well enough. What, what I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking is that when you talk about sustainable hedonism, sustainable hedonism is a view on life that you can follow with regard or regardless of your social standing or it's it's dependent on your social standing. This is what I I, I was trying to ask. Uh -huh. uh, it's a, I think it's for all. Um, I think it's an invitation for all to to explore a life, a, a good life, which is which is enjoyable, where there is joy, and there is also no contradiction with 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 responsibility or connect being connected to the world so it's a kind of organic natural um living in the world embedded in the world where we can act uh, for our own good without harming actually ourselves <laughs> or others so to me it's um it's it's a very universal message what are the social processes that can support this kind of um individual path to sustainable hedonism? Yeah, my book is primarily on the personal perspective, um, uh, inviting people to kind of explore their own uh, inner world. Um, but I, I do it with a, with a collective, uh, from a collective perspective. And what I touch upon relatively briefly is that um, I think this, we already talked about this issue of, of security. I think this kind of basic material security has, has a crucial place um, for, for, for public policies, like how do we how do we create social safety nets which, which hold people? Um, the importance now during the pandemic was also very apparent. Um, and also how do we create systems which, um, which uh, create uh, or support emotional um, stability? The role of early life years is it's very, very crucial here, uh, like the support for, for young uh, mothers, families is very important. And of course, later the school system, what is the school system doing to, to kids? Um, is, it, is, it, um, is it supporting their mental health, their well-being, their flourishing? It has much, a very, very profound effect on their long-term success, um, actually, even ter in terms of very objective measures of success, like school attainment or educational attainment or, or earnings. Um, so economists love to kind of measure future success with earnings. So kind of early mental health is not just like, uh, yeah, a kind of um, benevolent thing that give a good childhood but it's like it's, it's kind of good for us collectively so these are kind of clear interventions but I wouldn't want to of course I wouldn't want to <laughs> ignore adults as I mentioned for example this how important um, uh, provision for for mental health issues is for for adults 
In your book, you, you introduce uh, psychodrama as, as a methodology and a tool on the path to sustainable hedonism. Why? I believe that our intellectual understanding is very, very important, but it has very clear limits. Um, and, and experiential learning can be very useful. To me, psychodrama is just one method, one potential method of, of, um, of experiential learning where, where the body uh, and the intuition and emotions are also engaged and, and involved in the exploration. So it's, it's, it's important to think about good life or think about, think about our desires. But, but the whole notion is already a bit, sounds a bit paradox. I think it's, it's, um, it, it's to me, I see a great potential for transformation when we, when we are doing it in a playful way, in an explorative way, um, where we are engaging with ourselves in, a, in an embodied and, and full way and not just intellectually. So this is this is my um, yeah I have very very good experience working with people and, and in groups. Um, there is also kind of a very good strong group synergy effect uh, where people support each other, and um, and kind of my invitation here is like um, I think we have these parts in us, uh, some of which promote this flourishing life. And some others with which actually sabotage it. Um, so we have the inner saboteurs. It's not just the system, which is, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is kind of difficult in many ways or kind of can be criticized. But it's partly in us all all the all the forces which are sabotaging actually our own <laughs> good life. So this is an invitation to befriend and to, to transform, to see them, to witness them and to, to play with them and to, yeah, to seek a, a kind of a new way of integrating all these forces. Just as said about negative emotions, um, I think it is good to, to, to meet these, these forces as well. And to close out this episode, I'm asking you the question I ask all my guests, what is your rebellion? Um, I think I rebel is both of these kind of shadow sides of the issues I talked about. I rebel, rebel against oppressive moralizing systems. Um, on the one hand, this kind of the shadow of the of the um, of the responsible and moral side, um, and I and I also rebel against this unrestrained individualism where there is yeah kind of no awareness of on pleasure seeking so i think i rebel against both but my rebellion i'm trying to be a kind of creative rebel in a sense of not to distract but to create and co-create the alternative thank you very much Orsi, and thanks to all of you for spending time with us stay tuned with us for our next episode Thank you, Arshi. Bye. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks for all. Thank you for listening to the podcast series of the European Society for Ecological Economics. If you like the conversation and your work is related to ecological economics in any discipline, 
consider becoming a member of our society to stay connected. If you are ready to discuss the topic, join our Facebook group called European Society for Equality and Economics.